I'm Mike Travisano. I am ordained as a Shuzo student in our seminary program here at the Blue Mountain Lotus Society, part of our Dragonfly Sangha. And I will be delivering this evening's Dharma talk. The topic is jhana, or the paramita of concentration. Uh, this is a continuation of, of the talks we've been having on the six paramitas, beginning with Sensei Tony talking about dana or generosity a couple of month and a half, two months ago, something like that. Uh, for those folks who are joining uh, Sensei on the precepts retreat in a couple of weeks and taking the precepts, becoming part of our community, we invite you to do so. Um, join us. Um, he'll be talking about the second paramita there, the paramita of, uh, of ethics or morality. Uh, my brother Shuzo Brad Furman talked about patience. Uh, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the fourth paramita of energy or diligence in practice. Tonight I'll talk about concentration, and Brad will, will talk about the sixth paramita of wisdom, I think next week. Uh, so the, the paramita of dhyana, as a, as a very brief uh, review of what these paramitas are, or perfections, perfections of an enlightened being. Uh, but it's not really about describing the quality I will be when I attain full enlightenment. And they give me my enlightenment jacket, and I, you know, I, now I am perfectly patient and wise, and I, I suffer n not at all, and nothing challenges. It's not about, it's not about that. That it's about, it's about the path. It's about walking the path and keeping on the path, even when it gets tough. I think in our own liturgy, uh, it's said perfectly. There's a line he, uh, Sensei Tony says every week, where he says, since it is the practice of enlightenment, that practice has no beginning. And since it is enlightenment in the practice, that realization has no end. That that's what this is about. That's what these paramitas are about. That if I can if I can be a little bit better today than I was yesterday or the day before, that that's the standard I'm going to measure myself up against. Can I be a little kinder to myself and to others today than I was yesterday? Can I see my own thoughts the way I the way I put myself through my own little internal mental hell? Can I do that a little bit better today than I did it yesterday? Can I be more helpful today than I was yesterday? Can I keep that trend going? Even, even if the footsteps I'm taking are the tiniest baby steps, I'm on the path. We're on the path. If we all do that, forget about the idea of perfection. Forget, forget about the idea of arriving to the holy light switch where we flick it on and we're now perfect and just throw that away. And only measure ourselves up against the standard, am I, am I a little bit better than I was? Do I have the potential to be a little bit better? Did I handle it? If I'm suffering, I'm still here, right? I'm, I'm still with it. Can I do that? Just a little bit. Then you're on the path. And it's about the path. If we're all doing that just a little bit, the, the overall impact is immeasurable infinitely wonderful. So uh, the paramita of jhana, or concentration, is really, uh, we're really talking about meditation. 
Now I'm, I'm hesitant, as you can see, to even say that word, because I have this belief in my head, even among, even among the Buddhist community, that this idea of meditation uh, can be, for some, uh, something very powerful, and I do it. It's a part of my practice, and I do it for every day, and it's, I, make a, I, I make time for it. And then there's this other side of, of a lot of folks that think, like, I don't, you know, what, sit? I'm going to sit around, I'm going to think of nothing for, uh, you know, what? How long? How long am I going to do that? Think of nothing? What's that going to do? How's that going to help me? Uh, I'm hopeful that I can dispel some of the, some of the thought of, of, for those folks who don't, don't think it's such a, you know, something they want to participate in. And, and maybe for the folks that, that are participating in it and, and enjoy it, maybe they'll get some reinvigoration of, of practice. I'm hopeful it's helpful. Uh, traditionally, of course, jhana or concentration, this idea of meditation, is uh, clearly an important part of the Buddhist tradition. I mean, it, it, in, the, in the story, you know, the, our, our main Buddhist myth, uh, mythology of, of Shakyamuni Buddha, of, of Siddhartha Gautama being, becoming the Tathagata, the Buddha, that, that it all culminates, it all crescendos when he sits under the Bodhi tree and he meditates. And it finally, it finally comes to him, like what this is all about, what oneness, that, that, that he knew, he knew when he was a, you know, when he was young, cool, rich Prince Siddhartha and every pleasure at his whim and lap of luxury that he just wasn't, he didn't do it. He wasn't happy. And so on his journey, he gives it all away and he becomes a wandering ascetic, uh, foregoing food and doing all sorts of crazy gyrations and yogic practices and be becoming like a skeleton, right? And, and he finds like, I wasn't happy when I had everything. I, I wasn't content. And I'm not content when I have nothing. So what is going on here? And it's only in concentration, it's only in jhana that, that it comes to him, that he arrives at some clarity. And that's what this is about. That's what meditation is, is, is all about. In fact, in our own, in the three principles of oneness, uh, Sensei Tony talks about the three poisons and their antidotes. The three poisons of, of suffering, the three things that if you really had to throw everything that makes us suffer into three buckets, they, broadly speaking, are, it's because of a delusion, it's because of a, some hatred I have, and it's because of some element of greed, right? And in the delusion, uh, or in the poison of delusion, I suffer because I just am not seeing. I'm not seeing it right. There's a, somebody I work with, and I think they're a jerk. I think they're a bully. I think that, uh, and because I think they're a jerk and I think they're a bully, then maybe I don't want to be so helpful to them, right? And I kind of like, I don't look forward to meetings with them. And maybe I avoid meetings with them. And I, and I, right, I can tell a huge story about it, right? But really what's happening there is I'm suffering. And my suffering is caused by my own thoughts about this person. If I can see that clearly, if I can, if I can see it, Mike, you're doing that, man. You're doing that. And what's more, let's say that that person is really, you know, a jerk and a bully or all those things. Then maybe I can clearly see that, well, that's happening because he's, he's just like me. 
He's suffering too. He's got some story that he's telling himself in his own head about what life should look like and what life should feel like. And his actions reflect that. And when they're painful or hurtful, it's, it's, there it is. There's the poison of delusion, active in the world. I'm sure we see this every day with all sorts of people around us. And when I see that clearly, when I have that clarity, then I can, I can feel compassion to him. I can feel compassion to myself. I can, I can see things from a different platform. Maybe I can help. Maybe I can bring some spaciousness to what's really happening. Maybe I can inject a little bit of spiritual wisdom into regular, typically mundane, everyday work stuff. But I have to be able to see it. And that's what the practice of meditation helps us to do. Traditionally, meditation is thought of uh, in two big buckets. Uh, chamatha is this idea of uh, uh, abiding, uh, calming, sort of clarity abiding. And then Vipassana we tend to think of as more of a focused practice where we take a, a, a concept, maybe a Buddhist concept like emptiness, and we think about it. Or in the Zen tradition, we work on a koan, where we actually put some mental energy to something to try to understand it a little bit more. Uh, for this evening, I'm, 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 I'm going to focus a little bit more on the first kind, on the practice of, of seeing, of seeing clearly my own thoughts. Because this is uh, very uh, heavily ingrained in, in our four directions system of mindfulness. And it's important to, to clarify that in our tradition, we, we, we make a pretty good distinction between mindfulness and meditation. And that, uh, that you see kind of uh, nowadays, you, mindfulness, meditation, they seem to be used interchangeably. Like, oh, you do mindfulness, huh? Well, how long do you meditate? Well, we distinguish the two. As mindfulness is this, especially in the four directions, is this idea of self-inquiry, of pragmatic, practical, uh, a process. Anybody who's worked with the four directions know it's a step-by-step, -step, very simple, but it ain't easy, a very simple process of self-inquiry to see, to know that I'm going through something, to catch myself, and to make, be able to bring clarity to it and maybe make some decisions about it. And as part of this process, mindfulness is a skillful means that can help us develop this. Uh, and in, uh, specifically, we talk about uh, the developing the ability to notice what's happening. Because, uh, I almost said, the brain is a muscle. Well, let's just pretend that the brain is a muscle. We have to develop the muscle of the brain to be able to know that this stuff is, is going on. Because all, all too often for myself, maybe you're like this as well, life gets a hold of me and... It's, it's like a roller coaster or a train, uh, the world's worst train ride, right? And I'm strapped in, and I'm just going to take it for weeks or months, and I'm going to reside in this level of stress and strain and guilt and whatever, anxiety, right? And, and because I'm, I'm in it, I'm in the ride, I never, I never stop to notice it. I don't stop to notice my own thoughts about it. Are, are they reasonable? Is the story I'm telling myself about the train I'm riding right? Do I have to tell that story? Is there a different story I can tell? 
I can develop the ability to see that, to stop myself and to see that with, with meditation. Uh, in the Four Directions, we talk specifically about this labeling technique where we, where we simply sit and notice. And, uh, and instead of it being this idea of, I'm going to sit for three or four hours and I'm going to clear my thoughts, of anything, and I'm going to abide in pure presence of now. Mm. Anybody who's ever tried to do that for 10 minutes, let alone three hours, knows how difficult and how, why am I even pulling punches? It's impossible. It's impossible to just think of nothing. It's like, um, don't think of a pink elephant, right? You think of the pink elephant. As, as soon as you try not to do something, you do it, right? Like a golfer. Like, don't hit that tree, man. Don't hit the tree. And you hit the tree, right? It's the same kind of thing. Brain loves to do the thing it's, you're trying to not do. So what we do instead, of course, is, is have a home base. And in most, uh, it seems, most traditions, the home base is the breath. That if I can, if I can find myself in a, in a, comfortable, but yet uh, alert, upright uh, place of, of, of uh, presence where I'm just focusing on the breath. I do it all the time, right? I breathe in and out all the time. Most of the times I have no awareness to it, right? My brain's real smart, just keeps it going. But now I'm going to notice it, and I'm going to use it as a home plate. And then I'm just going to allow thoughts to come. And I'm cool when they come. I'm not trying to shove them away. I am not trying to like say, damn it, Mike, stop thinking of stuff. You're supposed to be present and peaceful. I'm not doing that. I'm just letting it happen. And uh, a technique I use uh, from one of Pima Children's books uh, is she says, uh, as the thoughts come, touch them like you're touching a, a bubble, like a, a bubble, like a little kid would blow. And just like, touch it and, and notice it. Ah, I'm thinking. How about that Tom Petty song? I'm thinking. Ah, how about that? Something I, some jerky thing I did to a kid in seventh grade. I'm just going to touch it. I'm going to let it go. And by letting it go, very simply, I'm going back to the breath. That the practice is not about not having thoughts. The practice is in the return is in going back to the breath, to noticing what's up there, to carving the pathway, to building the brain muscle, let's keep going with that, of being able to see what's happening for me, to having the kindness to let it go, to not follow it down, because we're good at that. We'll do that later, right? But for the amount of time that we're meditating, we're gonna give ourselves the permission to let anything come, allow it to come, touch it, and then return to the breath. Okay. Maybe I get two more breaths, right? Before another shot, another thought comes up. Cool. Fine. Touch that thought and return to the breath. It's the practice. It's the practice of knowing. Uh, it's the practice of knowing what I don't know. Uh, one of the, one of the, my favorite lines to describe this. I, when I was a, uh, when I was a young whippersnapper in corporate America, 
I had a boss, uh, executive director named Claire Bennis, who uh, uh, at IBM, who um, was a, a very kind mentor to me when I was pretty green, um, you know, dumb twenty-six-year-old, you know, trying to trying to do good, but falling over my big feet a lot. Uh, and and one day I I delivered a bunch of analysis, and I forgot. I just didn't give her everything she needed, right? And of course, as it would happen, as these life lessons happen, exactly what I didn't give her was exactly the stuff that would have made a difference. And she, being a mentor, being cool, uh, she admonished me kindly uh, with the following sentence. And uh, to me, this sentence sums up the benefit of meditation uh, perfectly. I don't know what I don't know if I don't know that I don't know it. I don't know what I don't know if I don't know that I don't know it. Talk about a, a, a koan, right? But if you break it down, it's exactly what's happening here. That there is no wrong side of the bed, right? We wake up, we think, oh boy, he woke up on the wrong side. No, he didn't. He didn't want, there is no such thing as the wrong side of the bed. He woke up with something hooking him, like some thought that like bothered him. And he has no awareness to it. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And he won't know it unless he looks. He has to look. And, the own, and our, our ability to look comes from our practice to remind ourselves to look. That if I can remember to look and notice then I can do a, a mindfulness practice. I can take myself through some sort of orderly self-inquiry and give myself the huge gift of clarity and reorientation to my true self, to the things that are most important for me, and take some kind of effective action that I otherwise left on my own accord. I would have just followed my old script that I know all too well and yelled it, you know, yelled at the, our little dog, or did something regrettable that I have to apologize for later. You know, hopefully I notice. And maybe I can't make a choice about it. Maybe I'm not that skillful yet, but just in the noticing, just in the, oh, dude, you know that. I, uh, I use an, an app, and I'll, I'll mention that really quickly. Uh, I, I use an app called My Life. Uh, I mostly use the, the timer, there's a lot of apps out there. You can use one, you don't have to use one, you know, whatever feels good. Uh, but it, it's helpful to keep me on target that I, you know, I, I only meditate for most days, seven minutes. My routine is really, really simple. I wake up, I, I come to my, my butsudan, I, I, I talked about this in the talk about Virya. I remind myself, I set my intention for the day, I walk downstairs, I turn on the coffee, and I sit down. I, I, I time myself for, usually most days, it's like seven minutes or 10 minutes. It's not long. You know, I, I myself am not uh, one for two or three hour practices. Again, what I'm doing in the morning is I'm, I'm checking in. Like, what's going on for me up there? Because when I look, when I ask myself what's happening up there, I'm often surprised at the conflict that I would not have otherwise noticed. 
for instance, a beautiful Saturday morning, nothing going on, like everything is awesome, the day is going to be wonderful, I sit down to meditate and, whoa, what is that? Is there guilt? Do I feel guilt? What an, I didn't know that was there. I thought I was excited today. I thought, and I am. I am excited. I feel really good. And there's something going on. There's something going on that I would not have known about had I not taken a moment to look. And so now I know. And those little tiny ones that, you know, I wouldn't have otherwise known, those are the ones that grow. Those are the ones that get me in trouble. The ones I don't know about, right? If I know about it, if I know that there's a, a, a you know, some bad, evil street criminal down that alley, I don't go down in the alley, right? I take some other, I take some other path. Same thing. If I know I've got a, a thought in there that's going to do some, something bad, if I don't unpack it, if I don't take it through the four questions or the four directions, uh, then I'm apt to, to run into trouble. And that's what, that's what meditation can help me to see, just to see what's happening, to have a choice to make some difference in my life. I hope this was helpful. I wish you all the best of luck in seeing your in in developing a practice to see what's going on up there and to make choices about it when you can. We are here to help, and it's we took vows to be helpful, so we want to. So reach out again. Uh, Sensei Tony is doing the precepts retreat in a couple of couple of weeks, and you can join us here and and hang out and talk about this stuff and uh, hopefully learn together and build a community that is helpful and feels good and and makes makes life the the one it, the one it should be thank you so much